It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tydra. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and our show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and help others find the show. My name is Kay Wenigal and I'm joined today by my co-host Natalie Bucknell. Hello listeners, hello Kay. And Kira Rundle. Hi. That's Kira. Quiet Kira. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought I'd find myself saying this, but there are some very exciting developments happening in the world of cement. So why is this... Did you say cement? I did (laughs) say cement. (laughs) Exciting, isn't it? Mm. Just saying it's exciting. I'm sure you're going to show us the excitement. (laughs) (laughs) If you cast your mind back to 2017, BZE's report, Rethinking Cement, showed that worldwide cement accounts for 8% of carbon emissions, and that is as much as a global car fleet. That's just insane to me. I was so shocked when I learned that. I know. It's incredible, isn't it? Here we are. EVs are really taking over the world everywhere except in Australia, and nobody thinks about concrete. And There's no talk about it. No. Mm-hmm. It's not quite as sexy as EVs. (laughs) You you would say that, wouldn't you? (laughs) After after this show, we might think differently. (laughs) So Rethinking Cement showed that there are a number of avenues for eliminating emissions from cement. Portland cement is produced from limestone, which releases large amounts of CO2 when it's heated in the kiln. This can be replaced by a product called geopolymer cement. So here to tell us about it is Tom Glasby, who's in charge of business development and engineering for Wagner's Earth-Friendly Concrete, and he joins us by phone to tell us all about his product. Hi, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Hello, Kay. Hello, Natalie, and hello, Kira. Oh, well-remembered. Um, yeah, very good. But the king I, of concrete uh, has I, a good memory. I cheated. I wrote it down on my, my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom, tell us what Wagner's does. Sure, Kay. So uh, Wagner's is quite a diversified uh, company across the uh, building product spectrum, essentially heavy construction materials. So we do quarrying supply, cement supply, concrete supply. We also participate as a contractor for supplying these materials uh, all around the world sometimes in projects that we uh, get a gig on. But we have a couple of very high-technology products which we've packaged together in our in our unit called New Generation Materials, and one of them is the one that we're talking about today, earth-friendly concrete, which is a commercial form of geopolymer concrete. Or EFC, as it's known in the industry. Yeah, we, we, uh, we've branded it earth-friendly concrete, and everything needs to be an acronym these days, of course, Kate, so, <laughs> it's, uh, so it's EFC. So can you tell us how this EFC, earth-friendly concrete, compares to the more traditional Portland cement? 
Sure, sure. So for the benefit of your listeners, which I assume aren't all avid concrete experts, <laughs> let's just take uh, let's just take one small step back. What is concrete? Mm. Concrete is a pretty simple material at the elemental level. It is small fractions and larger fractions of rock glued together with something to make a homogenous building material. So we get sand and gravel. Uh, all these different little fractions and sizes fit them together, but something's got to glue them all together to make a structural product. So what is the glue? Traditionally, that glue has been Portland cement. Uh, Portland cement, the chemistry of it and the manufacturing process was patented way back in 1850-something. Portland comes from Northern England, by the way, not Portland, America. Mm. Or, uh, or Portland, Victoria. For Portland, Victoria, <laughs> that's right. So that process was uh, patented and known about a very long time ago uh, and uh, it is a very practical product all around the globe because limestone is one of the most common elements in the Earth's crust. Most countries can make uh, cement even though it is a highly capital-intensive production process. So that is concrete. Concrete is simply sand and gravel glued together uh, with cement. Cement is a dry chemical powder. You mix it with water, it hydrates, it's a reaction, and then that forms a setting process and glues all these bits of concrete together. So why is that so bad in an environmental sense? Well, cement is a very, very high carbon-intensive production process. Uh, there's two parts to it. Firstly, you mine a source of calcium, which is limestone, shred it up, put it through a uh, very, very hot 1,500 degrees kiln that rotates, and under those conditions, carbon emission is directly driven off it. CO2 is driven off it, turns it into a different product. So, so and you also, you're probably emitting CO2 in the heating process too, I guess, Tom. Yeah, well, that's right. So 60% is the chemical transformation, which is called calcination, for the uh, carbon input, so CO2 going directly off. 40% of the overall is whatever process or energy or fuel mm. you are burning to keep the heating process going. So that's why there has been a lot of pressure on cement as an industry for some time now to either look at alternative forms of having a, a binder in concrete or doing something to mitigate this, um, this emission. So that's normal concrete. So Wagner's got interested in... Uh, Wagner's have been a concrete producer for a long time. Uh, they had another product called Composite Fibre Technologies, which is another high-technology, very environmental product. And in that group, they were looking at, well, what's new in the concrete industry? Now, this is going back as far as 2004. At that time, geopolymer was a known science, albeit at an R&D stage, uh, in various facets that had been used even as far back as sort of 1900 in America, not a geopolymer, but an alkali-activated system, a non-cement-type binder. So these, these processes were known, but, you know, much harder to do, uh, not readily available in industry and all the rest of it. So what is geopolymer concrete? So as I said before, concrete is simply sand and aggregate glued together with a binder. Okay, the binder we've always used has been Portland cement based. Okay, we've thrown away the Portland cement basis and we've come up with a different binder. That binder is a combination of aluminosilicate materials. Uh, we use two waste products to get that chemistry, slag 
is quite a controlled waste that comes out of the uh, steel production industry. And fly ash, we're probably more familiar with, is a waste that comes out of burning coal in power stations. We can use those two materials with a proprietary chemical hardener that goes in as a, uh, as a solution to make an alternative binder. Uh, it has very low carbon emission associated with it simply because slag and ash pretty much is free of carbon. It's already been accounted for its, its original purpose. Um, there's a small input with the chemicals that over the mass of concrete really doesn't amount to too much at all. So we can make a, uh, a very low carbon alternative binder. Now, of course, the reason we're also hooked on concrete is that it's so versatile, goes hard, sets, put it through batch plants, pumps, anyone can do it. So you don't want to lose those properties, obviously. So it's taken us a long time. We did a lot of development to get a concrete that we can use with this alternative binder, which we branded EFC, and to be able to put it through batch plants with small modifications, pump lines, and put it into everyday types of uh, concrete works. So tell now, me, how yeah. do the properties of the geopolymer cement compare to Portland cement? In its, in its very early, somewhat commercial machinations, geopolymer was noted as a high-performance concrete. So we've always known alumina-silicate-type binders actually have a lot better performance in a number of areas compared to straight Portland cement binders. So where we've gone with our development is actually in the high-performance concrete stake. So it has great acid resistance and sulphate resistance, and these are mechanisms that can uh, attack normal concrete, particularly in things like sewer works, for instance. Mm. So that's like a concrete cancer, they used to call it. No, that's a bit different. So Uh cancer is one of those horrible terms that just... uh, anything mildly wrong with concrete. Wow, that's concrete cancer. (laughs) But what most people are referring to when they say that is steel rusting inside the concrete and starting to blow off the cover, the outside of the concrete, and you see a horrible red oxide staining Mm. running down the concrete. It is very good as a resistant mechanism to that, so it protects steel from rusting, very highly alkaline, just like normal concrete does. So we can make a concrete It's got great properties, far better properties than normal concrete, and it doesn't come with the horrible uh, carbon emission input that standard concrete does if you're using ordinary Portland cement. And it also is recycling these waste products from two separate industries as well, so I really like that about it. Yeah, that's exactly right. So apart from just the straight calculations about carbon emission and so forth, we're actually finding a really good commercial use for otherwise waste from industry. In Australia, for instance, we have so much fly ash being, uh, you know, having to put into landfill and so forth. It's not funny. We don't produce a heck of a lot of slag simply because we're not a big iron producer. However, as a world, there is so much steel slag. Again, it really is a big problem in some countries like India, for instance. So with the different types of coal around Australia, you know, going varying from brown coal, very poor quality, to very good quality black coal, is there a, a difference in the fly ash that's produced and how, how do you cope with that when you're using it? Yeah, there is a huge difference. And not only here, because we've had a, our eye on world uh, markets with this product, so we, we see there's some really great opportunities. And when you go around the world, apart from Australia... There really is a huge variety of fly ash, the chemistry of it, 
uh, how well it's been handled, the moisture content of it, and all those sorts of things. We have a fairly fairly refined yet simple testing method where we can just get a sample of like a kilogram of fly ash out of a particular source and we can run it through a, uh, a calorimetry test and within 24 hours we know if we're sort of on the money with that or not. So on the one hand, yes, we can easily test it, see if it works or not. But on the other hand, you say, well, there's a lot of different flyers in the world, so how could you deal with some of those other ones? And... Again, geopolymer is a pretty good solution. So we've, we've been operating up in the high end of the market, the really high-performance stuff, at a different end of the market where we have had a little bit of play with is actually trying to come up with some kind of use for waste materials, dredged marine silts, ground coal fly ash that you can't react with anything else, all those sorts of things. So th- there are a, a wide set of avenues of commercial performance where you could make this product work but the short answer is yeah good black coal like you have uh, in a lot of parts of northern australia anyway make great fly ash for a for a geopolymer however you can make some of the other ones work as well with a bit of fooling around with the uh, formulation chemistry and so forth so given you were mentioning before about the um improvements that EFC has in terms of durability, lower shrinkage, higher tensile strength. Have you found that these new applications where this type of concrete can be used? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, we're still breaking into a number of markets. There is an active contract at the moment, which I can't say too much about because we don't have a signed contract as yet, but it's a very large sewer application where the operator of the utilities went through a 12-month performance testing against acid-resistant concrete. So really nasty acids build up in sewers, and the more industrial waste you're going in there, the worse it is. So it used to be that standard Portland cement-based concretes would always have to have a liner. Some of the situations, it's very hard to put liners in. Mm. When I say liner, like an acid-resistant high-density polyethylene liner. So uh, we look like getting the gig to uh, do sewer acid-resistant concrete uh, for this particular uh, utility system. How do the costs compare with that, Tom, for the different products? When we're talking about costs on that type of system, we're talking about cost versus, okay, if we did it in business as usual, we've got to put a high-density polyethylene liner there. If we do it in this particular concrete, we just have to have an extra 30, 40 mils of sacrificial cover or whatever it is. And under that sort of like-for-like costing, it's cheaper. Well, yeah, when, when I say look at the system, so that, that that's what that one was. So to get this extreme acid resistance, that particular concrete will be maybe 20, 30, 40% dearer than, say, just a standard Portland cement-based binder concrete. But the fact you don't have to have a liner with it means it's ends up being quite a bit cheaper. So are you saying that the EFC concrete is the same sort of price as Portland concrete generally? Uh, it's generally about 10 to 15% dearer, depending on what region oh, okay. you're in. Yeah. It really depends on the how you can source the raw materials required mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. So the, remember I said there's no difference between the sand and the aggregates. The only difference is in the binder. So... Binder in a normal Portland cement system might comprise 75% Portland cement, 25% flyash or some other supplementary material. Ours will be 100% of slag plus flyash and we'll have a small amount of chemicals there. So we price those ingredients up against what the normal one is, 
which is Portland cement and whatever supplementary cementitious material we are using. And all of those cost differences are different depending on which region of the world and even which region of Australia you go into. Mm. So, for instance, where we're producing concrete out of uh, some of our plants here in southeast Queensland, we will be the same price as maybe a, uh, a 40 MPA concrete or we might be 10% dearer on material costs on, say, a lower grade of concrete. Uh, where we are going for a particular specification, like they've asked for a particular uh, marine-grade concrete that has a tested uh, chloride ingress requirement on it, which is a particular test that you do, uh, we may well be significantly cheaper simply because the types of additives you have to pour into normal concrete to get that uh, means we don't have to do that because we get that for nothing because of the uh, chemistry is naturally resistant to that type of mechanism of attack. Yeah. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Tom Glasby from Wagner's about earth-friendly concrete, or EFC as it's known. So Tom, EFC has won a number of awards both in Australia and overseas. Can you tell us about them? Yeah, I, I can tell you, of course. Uh, so the, the first major award we got was, I think, back in 2010. It was from the uh, Queensland Government. They have a uh, Premier's Sustainability Awards series. And, um, you know, when we were just getting into the commercialisation phase, that certainly gave us uh, quite quite a shot in the arm, a little bit of motivation, if you like. So that was a really good one to win. So we not only won our category, which was... I think the category was called, uh, it was a manufacturing category, as in smart, sustainable manufacturing, but we won best of the show. So of all mm-hmm. the category winners, so that was quite a major one for us. Uh, we similarly won a award with uh, Building Products magazine uh, in the series that, that, they, uh, that they run a couple of years later. And we've won quite a few other awards around that innovation and sustainability angle, but uh, you always want to win something uh, on the world stage. So uh, the American Concrete Institute is probably one of the biggest, best-known concrete organisations, associations in the world. They opened up their series of awards to having world chapters uh, in 2016, 2016, and we took out uh, the category of the world product against the Americans and everybody else for the work that we've done on Wellcamp Airport, which is the first geopolymer concrete heavy-duty aircraft pavement in the world and a really big one. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that project? I was actually just about to ask that. Yeah, sure. So in... uh, in 2013, uh, Wagner's in their development and property group made the decision for a very large uh, investment in an integrated technology park of which the centrepiece was a airport. And when I say airport, we're not talking about a, a smallish regional airport. It was regional, but this one takes uh, international freight, uh, domestic flights, and big enough to land any plane in the world. So the decision was made early on, well, uh, let's put our money where our mouth is. Uh, We're convinced geopolymer concrete is the way to go. We're going to build all the concrete out of geopolymer concrete for the apronway and uh, the turning node. Not the runway itself. The runway itself is a very deep granular pavement with a thin cap of asphalt. It may surprise you to know that 
taking off and landing on runways is the actual lower loaded category and most airports get away mm-hmm. with that. Where the airports impart the major loads into your pavement is when they're stationary and screwing around and just screwing around with their wheels and just going at slow speed. So you'll mm. see mostly that the runways are just an asphalt cap, but all of the apronways and hard stand areas are very thick, uh, hard-wearing concrete. So there was something like... Uh, 50,000 square metres of concrete put into that project, which is 25,000 cubic metres. It was roughly 450 millimetres thick. Um, Externally engineered and specified, uh, we were able to show that our test data complied with all the requirements for that application. Uh, It was finished off in 2014. Another quite uh, groundbreaking avenue we used in Australia was to use a road paper machine to put it down with. So mostly the uh, heavy-duty aircraft pavements in Australia, engineers think it, it's better to put them down with just vibrating screeds because they're so thick that you can't actually achieve the level of compaction. We were able to show that we could put it down with a road paver, achieve good compaction, record it, tested it, and uh, that's still in operation today and um, servicing extremely well. It all sounds amazing, Tom, and that's a, a wonderful. It's really nice to hear these good news stories happening in Australia as well. It's, um, yeah, great. We seem Thank to be going much. backwards in so many ways. Um, so now come clean with us. There must be some downside. There's, <laughs> there's always a, a payoff with these things. What, are there any areas where it doesn't perform as well as Portland Cement? Yeah, yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. If this was the case, we'd have it going out of every plant in Australia, wouldn't yes, we? Yes, so, yeah. uh, so what are the limitations? That's that, well, what are the barriers and the limitations? So the, the, in terms of standards and compliance, we don't comply with any current code in the world simply because we don't put one grain of Portland cement in the concrete. Uh, so that meant that to show compliance to standards, we needed a performance-based standard. Uh, good thing about it is most Australian standards are performance-based, but we still needed to do enough testing, long-term testing, have it signed off by uh, some really serious forensic concrete engineers and large companies, which we did do. Uh, so that took us a, a fair while to sort of get that data in place. We're, we're pretty good with that now, but we still have to go through that process. So we don't have a standard that covers geopolymer concrete. Now, that is changing, by the way. I should give a good credit to our friends at UNSW that have really led that charge, Professor Stephen Foster down there. So uh, I'm on the committee and Stephen is chairing it and really pushing it hard where we're actually trying to develop a geopolymer concrete standard in Australia. Uh, it's starting out life as a design handbook and I'm hoping that uh, provisions will be made in a couple of years that we will have that standardised. But when you go around the world, the same thing happens. So you have to go through that process. So that is a fairly major barrier and limitation. Uh, raw materials. So we touched off on that before. Wherever you're going, you need to have sources of good slag and fires. Now, these routinely are not used in the sort of format that we need them for a geopolymer concrete. We need good, clean sources of fly ash and slag with the right chemistry that have no absolutely no contamination with normal cement at all. You might think, well, why would you worry about that? Because it does 
uh, muck up your reaction and working and rheology with the geopolymer concrete. So some of the other ones are this uses ingredients that aren't used in normal concrete. So apart from the slag and the ash, which aren't so bad, because we've been using that even in normal concrete as a small replacement of cement for many years. However, the, the chemical compilation that you use as a hardener solution to actually charge up the reaction of the geopolymer, that is brand new. So how do you source those chemicals effectively? How do you get the right combination of that? We've had our R&D team working on that for quite some time. We've had our costing people working on it for quite some time. Uh, so, you know, in making the product, there's quite a few things to come up with. And when we say you can make any normal concrete batch plants, you still have to have something to handle that chemical to put through into your batch plants. So we've had to overcome all those sorts of things, which we have done. We have a huge uh, in-house engineering fabrication team and they've been absolutely fantastic in supporting us in that. Now, the construction industry, which is not, which won't come as a big shock to you, is very, very conservative. <laughs> it's funny because uh, when you talk to governments at the front end of projects, they're all, you know, really supportive of innovation and doing something new and doing something different. When you get into the tendering process and construction process, absolutely nobody wants to hear that you're doing something different, different. innovative mm -hmm. yeah. or anything else. They want business as usual. They want to be able to rely on getting it under schedule so they can get their 20 grand bonus and uh, it's... And under price. So there is a huge, somewhat ironic conflict in the whole discussion around we're really out there promoting innovation, sustainability and doing things differently and better. Because on the one hand we are but on the other hand, we are not. And that's such and a sad thing, isn't it? And it seems to be the state in many industries. And, uh, and unfortunately, we've just run out of time, Tom. And um, just as you, you started, started going, I know, I know. We'll have to schedule another show for you. <laughs> absolutely. Thank absolutely. you. We've only scratched the surface. I absolutely agree with you. But thank you very much for your time and, and informing us so thoroughly. And um, people can find out more if they Google Wagner's. And Absolutely. Jump on our website uh, and send some inquiries through on the on our website uh, inquiry channel there. We'd love to hear from you. Terrific. Thanks again, Tom. And Thank of course, you. It's been an absolute pleasure. You can always um, look at the Rethinking Cement report on the BZE website. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of this show are on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoyed the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.